Hello, I'm Todd Unger, and this is AMA Moving Medicine, a podcast from the American Medical Association. More children and teenagers are expressing discomfort with their assigned sex at birth or their assumed gender identity. Physicians play a unique role in working with trans teenagers and their families. Dr. Jacques Ambrose and Dr. M. Brett Cooper discuss common misconceptions about this patient population, as well as how physicians can be a resource for trans teenagers and their families. Let's join their conversation. My name is uh, Jacques Ambrose. I am a child and adolescent psychiatrist. I'm currently the medical director for youth services at um, Beth Israel Leahy Health Behavioral Services. And uh, I am currently um, an advisory committee member for the American Medical Association on LGBTQ issue for the Board of Trustees. I'm Brett Cooper. I am an adolescent medicine physician in Dallas. Um, And as part of my clinical work, um, I take care of transgender and gender diverse uh, youth in our Genesis Clinic at Children's Medical Center in Dallas. Um, And I am a former member of the Texas Medical Association LGBTQ work group, um, which I'm happy to announce is now a formal section within the Texas Medical Association. Um, so we are advancing care in Texas related to this population. I always wanted to hear people's story. Um, and what I mean by story is like, what, what got you involved in this work? And, and not like the, the I, I feel like everyone has like, um, like the stereotypical story, quote unquote, that they tell to residency director or like fellowship director. I'm kind of curious, like, what is your story, however you want to interpret that? Yeah, so um, I lived my entire life up until fellowship in Ohio um, and did medical school and residency. And um, I actually came out as gay in my um, after my first year of medical school. Um, and, you know, so kind of my interest with members of the LGBTQ Q community kind of initially started revolving around myself um, and kind of my experience as a gay man. Um, And then when I was a PEDS resident, um, I actually was at our National Adolescent Conference um, with our adolescent medicine physician. And we got a text from one of my continuity clinic attendings who was like, hey, I have this young person in here who says that they're trans, like, what the hell do I do with this person? And <laughs> I was like, that's a great question. Like, I don't know either. Cause I had never met a trans person, but I was like, well, I'm gay. So I can kind of give you some like brief stuff, but we were in, um, I did residency in Toledo, Ohio. And so we didn't really have a lot of tertiary care or gender clinic resources immediately available. And the closest folks to that were actually in Southeast Michigan. And so, um, That really like struck me as a chord saying, you know, hey, this is the fourth largest city in Ohio and we have no way to take care of these young people. And so um, unfortunately, or I guess fortunately, that was my last year of residency. And so I was leaving Toledo. Uh, But it to me, that kind of spurred the need. And so when I moved to Houston to do fellowship in adolescent medicine, I was like, hey, I certainly know we can make young or medical care better for, you know, children and adolescents Mm. like me, 
But what about these folks who identify under this T part of the alphabet? And what can we do for them? So just to kind of like, uh, as like a, a rundown of the, the basics, um, how would you define transgender? So I think at the basic level, it's, you know, somebody whose gender identity does not uh, align with the sex assigned at birth. And so I think to we have to define that as well. So essentially, you know, it, it, it can be hard to tease this out, but um, the sex assigned at birth is something that physicians or somebody in a delivery room has decided based on someone's genitalia. Um, and so we call that their sex assigned at birth. And then really someone's gender identity is internally in their head what they feel about their gender is. And that could be congruent with um, their sex assigned at birth based on genitalia, or it could be different. And so transgender is kind of just a an umbrella term for folks whose gender internal gender identity does not match perhaps their genitalia or their sex assigned at birth in the binary world in which we have traditionally lived. Many times in kind of the lay society, we um, associate the terms sex and gender to be synonymous. Um, and I think that the the really key point to tease those out is sex is something that another individual decided for you. Like I said, based on either chromosomes or the appearance of external genitalia that you have, at usually at the time of delivery. Gender is really an internal experience for the world. Um, and that can be varied for that individual. So even cisgender folks, for example. Um, so I identify as male and use he, him pronouns. But my my experience of being male could be different from somebody else. And so our society has also tended to kind of define male and female for what our culture thinks that should be. And so if you use as an example, like male is somebody who's into sports and, you know, loves to hang out with their guy friends and like go hunting or do this. And that may not be my experience of male, but male is still my gender identity. And so um, that exists on a spectrum, whereas sex is for the vast majority of folks, a binary thing. And so you're either have XY male chromosomes or your XX and your female and have kind of female appearing genital, uh, external genitalia. There does exist a category of folks who we have traditionally called intersex who have ambiguous genitalia at the time of birth. And I think I don't want to get too much into the weeds of that for this particular podcast, but just knowing that those folks do exist or can exist if you see them. Um, but sex is traditionally been a binary thing, whereas gender exists on a spectrum from I am exclusively male to exclusively female, with many of us being somewhere in between that, the cultural norms for both male and female. So when folks are talking about um, like the biological binary of sex, I always thought it was really interesting whenever folks like especially folks in medicine, especially folks who are in the science field, who are so fixed on the con concept of sex being binary. Many people in medicine in particular, but also in society, we like boxes. So I can check this box or I can put you into this box because it's really easy to then kind of study that or say it's not this or it is this. And, you know, even somebody in this field you know, I still really struggle to understand non-binary because I don't live it. 
And I think that's one of the difficulties as well with kind of the non-binary world of gender is that many people, um, they just say, look, I don't understand this. Or, um, you know, oftentimes, you know, people who try to attack LGBTQ rights in particular for trans folks, they're like, you know, sex equals gender. And it's a very narrow way of thinking about that. Um, and I think that it is difficult. Like, how do you explain something that doesn't seem to make sense to you? And that is the eternal mystery of human nature, is that we like to explain things that exist in our world, whether it's the weather or physics. We like order. And the non-binary gender identity is not ordered. And it doesn't fit nicely into boxes. Um, but I think being open to it essentially saying each human individual is different. And if we can appreciate the diversity of human beings, then it really doesn't become an issue. It's really an issue for the world that if we're putting, you know, a sex on a driver's license, having two options makes it really easy. How do you put 50 options if, for example, my gender identity is like Demi Boy. Where where does that fit on a driver's license or a birth certificate or a, I don't know, whatever other kind of documents we're using in a research study? That's where a lot of folks don't like it because it doesn't fit nicely into our traditional societal structure. Uh, but I think being open to that and realizing that there are some things we can't explain, but people know themselves is a great way to kind of just keep your mind. You took care of the nation. It's time for the nation to take care of you. The AMA stood by America's physicians and patients during the pandemic, and we're not stopping there. We're fixing prior authorization, leading the charge on Medicare payment reform, supporting telehealth, fighting scope creep, and reducing physician burnout. It's time to rebuild, and the AMA is ready. To learn more about the AMA Recovery Plan for America's Physicians, go to ama-assn.org slash time to rebuild. Open to that. Yeah, and I, I, I want to get real for a moment. It's like uh, on, on the one hand, um, we have all these experiences in, in interacting with the LGBTQ community and being a part of the LGBTQ community. Um, and at the same time, I want to be real and say that I'm like, we're both cis male. And I think there are, there, like you said, there are fundamental differences in terms of how the world interacts with us and how we interact back um, to the world. And that, that varies on a wide level of spectrum. Um, the other element that I think you, you touched on that I thought was really insightful is I think we're, we're, we're looking at things in a micro level right now at, at sex and gender, um, but most people are not just their sex and gender. They have a myriad of different elements that describe them. Um, and I think many elements of um, like race and culture often gets obfuscated in the larger conversation because it, it feels, it, it becomes really, really complicated um, really quickly for a lot of people. One of the things that I'm, I'm curious if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit more about is like how, how would 
physicians interact with um, these intersectionality component. I find that oftentimes I have a hard time having conversations with patients because they kind of throw it back in my face and, and, and say that, you know, you don't actually understand what it's like um, to be a transgender Black woman um, and constantly having to worry about your livelihood because of everything that's going on, because of like institutional racism, because of all of the structural inequalities that's still existing. And it's 100% valid, but I'm curious to, to, to hear if, um, if what, what have been some of your experiences in that arena, because I think that's, that's one of the, the aspects of um, LGBTQ that I, I myself struggle with as a person of color, um, in the, the traditionally very white space. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think it's actually a very, a great question, you know, is, and you know, like you touched on, I'm a cisgender white gay man. And a lot of the, when you look at the kind of broad research around lumping all LGBTQ people into one big umbrella, as composed of breaking down different letters of that umbrella, you know, I exist in a very privileged space, even as a gay man. And so a lot of the things in my life are not applicable to, like you mentioned, a Black or African-American trans woman. We live in two very different worlds. And so I think how I, for physicians, it's really saying, Again, back to, I don't have all the answers, but when that person is in front of you in the office and you've kind of now identified that they are someone who is LGBTQ identifying, saying, help me understand what are your challenges? Or if you're struggling to figure out, like, why is this person not, I don't know, let's say not taking their insulin or not using it appropriately or something to that effect, Instead of just saying, like, this is the non-compliant patient, taking a step back and saying, you know, help me understand what are the challenges in you being able to give yourself your insulin? And then you might realize that that, you know, Black trans woman is a sex worker, may not have stable housing, you know, who knows? There's a myriad of other factors that go into that um, that you don't know and you might be making an assumption about. So I think that's the, just knowing that you will never know. I don't know what the experience is like growing up as an African-American person. I will never know that. But I can acknowledge that there are different experiences that these individuals have that they bring with them into the office. And I feel like all I can do in that space is just acknowledge that and hold that um that open-mindedness um, that you mentioned to just hear the person um, and hear what their experiences are like. It's just realizing that all of your patients are diverse and have a lot of different parts of who they are. And so their gender identity and their sexual orientation are just two pieces of a larger puzzle. Um, and so just keeping an open mind to this and really um, allowing your patients to tell, tell you their story um, and then treating them with the appropriate respect that they deserve is all that they're really asking for. So I think that's a great way to say, help, tell me what you need from me, or how can I help you with whatever it is that you're looking for? And really having that humble approach 
instead of the traditionally paternalistic, like, this is what you need to do approach. You know, and many of us physicians sometimes are afraid to ask questions that we don't know the answers to, or we don't know how to handle the answers we may get. And so it's better to just not ask. And I think, you know, I can appreciate that interest or that approach, but um, one of the things that I suggest to physicians is if you move to a new area and you're going to be working with potentially specific groups of people, maybe find one or two resources. So even if you're not like the expert in providing hormone care to trans individuals, maybe you know like where your local PFLAG chapter is or you know where your local um, kind of LGBTQ resource center is if you're in a larger city particularly. Um, and that way you can say, hey, you know, I appreciate you telling me who you are and that helps me take better care of you. I may not have the answers to help with the questions you're looking for, but I know this group over here, give them a call and they might be able to better assist you. And so it's really giving you that you're not just blowing the patient off and being like, well, I don't know, figure it out yourself. Um, but you're able to just like, you know, if I got a question about like, somebody's sickle cell, I may not be the expert, but I know the hemoc doctors down the way and I can give that patient their phone number or something. Keeping an open mind and also knowing you will never know all of the answers, but knowing kind of what your resources are, I think is the biggest tip I can give as well as, you know, approaching each of these patients that you see with an open mind. Because I think oftentimes many people go in with the lens that the world is a cisgender heterosexual world. Uh, and so, you know, just keeping that open mind that there could be differences, even in a small yeah, town. Yeah, no, I, I think you're you're bringing up some really interesting point. Is like the, I, I think the 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 whole aspect of um, the concept of physicians in medicine always feeling like we have to know all the answers, and if we don't know all the answers, then there's some something fundamentally wrong in in, in I think it's it's a little bit paralyzing at times. I really appreciate your stance of being the the Sherpa. Um, kind of like I, I don't necessarily know the answer to this specific thing, but I am going to try to connect you to someone who, who might. Um, and I think learn something in the process. And I think you, you brought up a really, really good point um, in the space of like how do we navigate that that unknown together because I think um, at least for for many of my patients um, it starts out as like a question um, I, that there was a, a patient that I worked with for a couple of years and um, she um, was originally born um, and natally assigned as female and then start started having questions about I don't feel comfortable in, in this space that um, medicine and society um, have, ass have assigned for me. Um, what do I do? And I think it's, it's about having that, that knowledge of like, uh, uh, girl, I don't know either. Like, let's, let's, let's try to figure it out together. Let's try to navigate. What do you mean when you feel uncomfortable? Um, or what do you mean when you say you don't feel like yourself? in this space because i think a lot of time I, what i'm i'm discovering is that the patients themselves are having this journey along with me and it, it it is something really really 
amazing to to witness like almost like when they realize that no I'm, I'm i'm i don't belong in this particular sex um it's almost like a grieving process and then i and i i always feel like i'm always like like constantly crying with my patients because it's just it just feels like oh my god life is already so so hard as a teenager like high school is just vicious um and now you you have to like go through this whole journey of all the relationships that you've made with individuals they they were made under like a different identity and now you yourself have to kind of recreate that identity for yourself and then reestablish the same relationship with those individuals and you don't know what that's going to be like you don't know if your parents are going to still love you and support you in the same lens. You don't know if your best friend will still support you. Um, you don't know what the rest of the world is going to be like. So I think it's like the, the question and the theme of unknown is really powerful for me. I like that. You can be in that space and just, you may just need to be the person they vent all of their frustrations to, or the person who can listen when they're like, oh my God, my parents are so annoying and they won't validate my identity. Or, um, you know, like one of my patients who ended up was actively suicidal in my office because her parents told her like, you cannot date this girl. Um, you know, and then as part of that, she's also discovering that she may be kind of in a non-binary space. And so after she got out of the inpatient psych, then that started a whole new kind of process at home. And so I'm a safe space for her. And I think recognizing as physicians, we hold so much power in that space to be a safe space for these young people. And so just giving them that time to be, I think is really important, mm. like you mentioned. Since we're talking about LGBTQ people, I think that's also a great way to kind of say, these individuals may have had really negative experiences with prior healthcare providers. So if they seem really shifty with you or um, you don't really get that same kind of camaraderie or patient physician interaction that you have with somebody else, it could be because they're trying to figure out, can they trust you or not? Um, or are you going to misgender them or, you know, do something on a physical exam that they're not comfortable with? I'm Todd Unger, and this is AMA Moving Medicine, a podcast from the American Medical Association. You can also subscribe to other great AMA podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. For more American Medical Association events and other AMA member-only benefits, join the AMA at ama-assn.org slash join. Thank you for listening.